make a big noise playing in the street gonna be a big man someday you got mud on your face you big disgrace kicking your can all over the place singing we Is anybody alive out there? Is anybody alive out there? Keep checking, keep checking. Is anybody alive out there? And welcome back to another edition of the Sports Buzz. As yes, we are back as we get ready for thought-provoking, hard-hitting, entertaining sports talk here on this Friday, November 18th. As we are just a few days away from the Thanksgiving holiday. And we are a few days away from where we gather around the table and we enjoy a huge feast and we thank our families for a great year and we watch football we get full we get tired on tryptophan with the turkey we then can officially begin the christmas season as the 2022 year is quickly winding down oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but it's a very active sports time in the 2022 year as the NFL football season has eight weeks to go with the Tennessee Titans going into Lambeau Field and upsetting the Green Bay Packers. And what a game that was. We also have some MLB stuff to talk about in the course of this program. The college football season is dwindling down to its final few weeks. The NCAA basketball season has finally begun. The NHL season is getting more intriguing as the weeks progress, and the NBA season is still young, but there's always stuff to talk about when it comes to the National Basketball Association. But we will begin on the NFL in... What has really been an odd year, it's been an odd year because Aaron Rodgers and the likes of Tom Brady have not had much winning success. Russell Wilson has been a bust thus far with the Denver Broncos. And then you have teams here in New York, like the Giants, who are 7-2, and two, and the Jets, who are 6-3. and three. And you've had some fascinating storylines thus far in the NFL season. And when you look at the Week 11 games this week, Andy, you look at a lot of great matchups. And we enter now a time in the NFL season where every week starts to matter. Every game starts to matter as the postseason is quickly approaching and every team needs to go and play battle-tested and tough for 60 minutes on the football field to really try and get to the postseason. And it's very hard to do that in the NFL playing 17 games in an 18-week time frame. Well, you know, it's amazing watching the Giants now we know Saquon Barkley is, uh, you know, about as athletic and gifted and strong and fast back as they come. 
And the, the line is really blocking for him, too. I mean, they're giving him some openings where he can do stuff in the open field. But the funny thing is, once in a while, when uh, Daniel Jones fakes that handoff to Barkley, he's got room to run. I mean, he's had some big runs uh, and nobody near him. I mean, it's amazing how uh, Barkley just uh, draws the defense to him. And Jones sometimes, uh, rather than throw the ball, he says, hey, look at all this green grass I got in front of me. And he goes and gets first downs. It's been something to watch, really. It's been fun. Well, so far, Brian Dable's been the answer at head coach. Wink Martindale's done the job as defensive coordinator. And Mike Kafka's called all the right plays for the offense, leading the team as the offensive coordinator. And listen, this giant team, they've been a fun team to watch. They've done it with the ground game. They've done it with the defense. They've been readily prepared week in and week out. They've been tough. They've been gritty. And most of all, Andy, they've won some key games and they've played a tough 60 minutes throughout week in and week out. And the one thing you could say about the Giants this year that you haven't been able to say the last several years is they know how to finish games. They know how to play and win the fourth quarter, and that's been pivotal thus far in this 2022 season. And listen, I know they're playing the Detroit Lions this week. The Lions are coming off of a big win, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter against the Bears last week to get a big win and go to 3-6. and six. No team is an easy team to go out and beat in the NFL. But for the Giants, this is a key game to get them to 8-2 and two before they really start playing a tough stretch of their schedule the rest of the way. And that begins on Thanksgiving Day in Dallas against the Cowboys team that is kicking themselves in the butt for a bad loss at Lambeau last week against the Packers. Well, you know, the Giants haven't been beating themselves and. That's what determines a lot of these NFL games, especially this time of year. Uh, the teams don't necessarily win games, but their opponent loses them. Case in point, Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they just turned the ball over too many times. And uh, besides, Washington isn't really that bad. <laughs> they're, they're actually in the playoff mix. But, uh, you know, it's eliminating the mistakes, especially uh, in the final stages of the game. Uh, that'll, that'll get you in the win column. And when you take Carson Wentz out of the fold as being the leader for your team and you go to a guy like Taylor Heineke, things can sort of work in your favor. And that's what happened with the Commanders last week when they went out there and they played a dominant football game. They played scrappy and they beat a tough powerhouse Eagles team. And the Eagles suffered their first loss of this 2022 season. And we all know one thing, Andy, it's very hard to go undefeated in in the NFL and it's very hard to win week in and week out. So the Eagles were eventually going to get battle tested and the Washington already faced them once opening weekend in the NFL. So they were able to get a good game plan of how they were going to go out there and beat the Eagles. And they did everything they had to do with Taylor Heineke at quarterback to go out there and give the Eagles their first loss. And now the commanders are five and five. They're playing tough. They got a good head coach. 
in Ron Rivera. They have a very good defense year in and year out. You know Rivera's going to coach this team well when it comes to the defensive side of the football. That's where his success is. That's where his pedigree is. And the Commanders right now are a fun team to watch. They're probably a little bit overrated right now, but they're a fun team to watch. And Taylor Heineke may be the guy that gets them to a possible wild card berth out of the NFC. Well, you know, it's been 50 years since somebody's gone undefeated in the NFL. And you look at the last team that did it, Don Shula's Miami Dolphins there. That was a team that hardly ever fumbled the ball. I mean, uh, they rarely fumbled it. And they had a great offensive line, a very solid defense. And they just won with fundamentals and not making mistakes. I mean, uh, they didn't go out there and kill teams. Uh, they weren't really all that high-scoring a team. They killed the clock by keeping possession going, and uh, they just uh, didn't give any games away. And it's funny, since then, the only team that's gotten to a Super Bowl undefeated was that Patriots team that that got done in by the Giants. I mean, normally uh, teams, I can think of a few that went to 10-0. I remember one year the Redskins, when they were the Redskins, were 11-0 one year before they finally lost, but... I haven't had too many teams go into like 14-0, 15-0 territory. It's just too long a season. It takes too much of a toll. And the NFC East, Andy, is always a tough division. I mean, you have four teams right now vying to go out there and position themselves for postseason play. And it begins with the Eagles at eight and one, the Giants at seven and two, the Cowboys at six and three, and then the Commanders at the very bottom with five wins and five losses. So this is going to be another year where this division goes right down to the wire. And yes, the Cowboys are one and zero against the Giants. I get that. And the Thanksgiving game may be all that bigger for these two NFC East opponents as uh, the season starts to wind down. But listen, if you're a Giant fan, you're very happy to see what this team has done. You like what you've gotten out of Brian Dable. You like the fiercefulness of the team. You like the fact that Jones has shown you a little bit more of his ability. You like the fact that the ground game with Saquon Barkley is true to form again this year. And you like the gutsiness and the tough heartedness of that defense led by Wink Martindale as defensive coordinator and that's been the storyline with the Giants the ground game offensively and what they've been able to do defensively with key takeaways and turnovers late in games and being able to finish games when they need to to get a W in the win column and then out of the AFC you got the New York Jets you got a Jet team that has played well in all three phases you have a Jet team that right now is probably playing the biggest game thus far in the 2022 season as they take their talents to Gillette Stadium and take on Belichick and a feisty Patriots team who's 5-4, and four, a team that has owned the Jets year in and year out. The Jets can never seem to solve the New England Patriots. And this game Sunday, Andy, is going to be a marquee game. And who would have ever thought that before the season started, we would be talking about the Jets and Pats being a pivotal game in Week 11 of this 2022 NFL season as the winner of this game can definitely start eyeing the postseason and can definitely feel comforted knowing that they have a good shot to make a deep run. And you want to talk about a hellacious division. 
And uh, the Patriots, they've certainly had the Jets' number. They've won some odd games, really. And uh, the Jets may just break through this time, but I'll believe it when I see it. But, uh, you know, you got Buffalo and Miami in that division. A couple of teams that just can explode on you at any time. It's interesting with Buffalo. They're getting all this snow in Buffalo, like six feet. I mean, like catastrophic uh, biblical proportions here. And, and they have to move their game to Detroit, and they'll be playing that game indoors. And that'll be an interesting game uh, for the Bills this week. Well, yeah, uh, they're moving it to a neutral site. It's two hours yeah. from Cleveland and four hours from Buffalo. So the NFL figured that was the best place to play the game on Sunday at 1 o'clock. And listen, with the Bills, you have to start to wonder how bad is Josh Allen's elbow and what are the Bills not telling us because the last two weeks, the Bills have lost key games. They lost to the Jets in what wasn't an offensive explosion, 20-17, to and then the Vikings go into Orchard Park last Sunday and get the upset special on the road, and the Bills found a way to lose the game late, and Allen, yes, he looked good at times, but his elbow and his accuracy just did not seem to be there last week for the Bills. I think Buffalo's going to turn a lot more to the running game, and they have one. You know, I mean, that's a balanced team. They can beat you in different ways. But how about that catch that Jefferson made last week? That was one of the catches of the century there. That's right up there with David Tyree and uh, with that helmet catch. <laughs> oh, you know, it's an amazing catch if you want to go through some college uh, highlights. Uh, Notre Dame against Navy. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on any of the highlights. Uh, there was a miraculous catch there for. Yes, I did work. catch that. Yes, <laughs> that was quite a. It's amazing how that one got pulled off. Uh, yeah, football lends itself to some of these amazing plays sometimes. And look at the job that Kevin O'Connell's done as first-year head coach with the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are a fun team. Kirk Cousins has finally broke out a little bit and is worthy of consideration for being a great quarterback in the league this season. The Vikings have done it offensively. They got a good defense. Their special teams has done good thus far this season, and they've gotten some big wins, and this could be another team, Andy, that can make a deep run into the post season and they don't only do it on the ground they do it in the air they're a short slant pattern pass team they don't have a lot of big playability downfield a lot of their plays are done through the slant pattern pass and there's a lot of different trickery that they throw at you offensively and that's where Kirk Cousins seems to thrive in that type of game you know it's really interesting when you look at the Vikings and you look at the Bills now, those are two franchises. When you open up the Super Bowl record book, there they both stand at 0-4. I think they're the only teams in the league that have lost uh, four Super Bowls without a win. And uh, wouldn't it be funny if they're playing with each other? The, uh, now, the two teams that went 0-4 in the Super Bowl were back in the previous millennium. Had nothing to do with the guys who are on the field now. But uh, the historians will be having fun with that one. You know, hey, the 0-4 Bills against the own four Vikings in the Super Bowl. Somebody's got to win. And, of course, <laughs> Buffalo came awful close to one, that one of the Giants where the Scott Norwood field goal was off by a few yards there. That was, uh, I guess, the closest Buffalo came to winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun from a historical perspective to see those two match up in the Super Bowl. Yes, it would be, Andy. And then, listen, you always talk about this team. Every year we seem to talk about this team more and more. 
They have Patrick Mahomes and they have Andy Reid. And when you talk about those two guys, you talk about winning success as the 7-2 and two Chiefs will head to Los Angeles and take on the Chargers Sunday night on NBC. And this is a big game for the Chargers. The Chargers played a tough game against the Chiefs at Arrowhead on Thursday night football in Week 2. And this will be a rematch and the Chiefs will look to go back out and get a big win on the road and try and get to eight and two and still be the prima donna out of the AFC West. Well, you know, those games uh, within the division talk about like chiefs and chargers and Broncos. And they're also like in the NFC East when you have the Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, you know, and AFC North, you know, you have the Browns, Bengals, Ravens, Steelers. Now these teams, they don't fear each other because they know each other so well. They've played them twice every year. And uh, there's no secrets. And also there's uh, nobody holds anybody else in awe. And they just go at it. And uh, when when teams play uh, other teams like an interconference team, say you're an NFC team playing an AFC team this week, you know, they got to get out the film. And what do you know about this team? It's like a whole different approach when, when your opponent is thoroughly familiar with you and you go out there and no matter what their records are, yeah, because they, they hold no fear. Yeah, they game plan for these teams more often than they would against an opponent that's not in their division. They see them a lot more, so they have different ways that they could go about preparing their teams week in and week out. And listen, you yeah, got to give no surprises. <laughs> no, you got to give credit to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and what he's been able to do with that quarterback in Kansas City because a lot of people looked at me prior to the season. And when I said the Chiefs were going to be a dominant team in the West, like I was crazy. They lost Hill. They had some key changes in the offseason, but they go out there. They get Smith-Schuster. They still have Kelsey, who's one of the toughest tight ends to defend on a week-in, week-out basis. And they find ways to win games, and they make big plays. They are a big play football team, and that's where they thrive, and that's where they excel greatly, and that's why they have all of this winning success year in and year out, because week in and week out, they got a good game plan. You know they're going to go out there, and they're going to put up points, they're going to score touchdowns, and they're going to find ways to win games because of the big playability of the quarterback, and because of the good play calling uh, operation that Andy Reid has there in Kansas City. Well, you look at three teams that contend every year, regardless, and there's going to be roster turnover in football because it's just designed for it. You know, you have salary caps, you have free agency, you have plan B, you have all this uh, moving around to players. And the NFL kind of wants that and they've legislated for it. But you look at the teams that have been consistent contenders through the past decade, you got three teams that have had the same coach for a long time. You know, you got Belichick with the Patriots, you got Harbaugh with the Ravens, and you got uh, Andy Reid with the Chiefs. And so regardless of uh, ups and downs of the personnel and comings and goings, they keep those teams winning because they've got a coherent, consistent uh, system going on there. And a lot of times we forget about that aspect of the game. And usually those teams like the Patriots, the Ravens, uh, Chiefs, you know, they have good special teams. You have a lot of areas on both sides of the ball that get taken care of that a lot of other teams may have neglected as they've uh, put their rosters together, you know. 
No, absolutely, Andy. And listen, we know it's a quarterback league. We know you got to have the quarterback to really go out and be a solid, legit team week in and week out to get yourself to a Super Bowl. But to me, it also has to do with the head coach. It also has to do with preparedness. It also has to do with leadership. It also has to do with the game plan and and the different fundamentals that are instilled week in and week out to give you that winning culture and success on a regular basis. And that's why when you look at guys like Belichick or Andy Reid or Harbaugh with the Ravens, that's why year in and year out, they're always putting W's in the win columns because they got the head coach who's been there done that who knows how to put the right pieces in play and call the right plays at the right time and make the right moves at the right time to get them key wins and that's why these teams are fun to watch and fun to root for year in and year out yeah they say you've got to have a talented quarterback to win a championship but you can certainly have a talented quarterback and have everything fall apart if he doesn't have the support that he needs you know, quarterbacks often get too much credit for a win and too much blame for a loss. Football is probably the ultimate uh, team game of them all when you really come down and consider it. Couldn't agree with you more, Andy. Another division we look at is the NFC West, as the Seattle Seahawks have been a fun and gritty team under the leadership of Pete Carroll as head coach and Geno Smith, who's having a big year at quarterback. The 49ers are another formidable team that we look at. And I think this 49ers team, Andy, I think they're going to be a dark horse out of the NFC West. And I think if any team can play that upset Cinderella special, they did it last year in the postseason and they fell short against the Rams in the championship game. I think it could be the 49ers. This team just has the makeup of being a great powerhouse football team. They got a fantastic defense. Garoppolo knows how to play the good game offensively. They mix it up with the run and the pass, and they have a brilliant play caller who has one of the best offensive schemes in the game, and that's Kyle Shanahan, the son of Mike Shanahan. So the 49ers, I think, are going to be a dark horse out of the NFC West. Well, they certainly are. They're impressive and formidable. And when I've had a chance to catch them on TV, they've looked very good. Uh, You know, I'd say uh, even though the defending Super Bowl champion Rams are in that division, I think the 49ers are still uh, going into this stage of the season, the best team in that division right now. And John Lynch seems to have an answer as general manager year in and year out. They go out there, they get... Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers. What does McCaffrey do last week? He has a big key touchdown in their victory. Brandon Ayuk has had a big year for the 49ers. The defense has stepped up. Kittle seems to always be in the thick of things. They find ways to win games week in and week out. And the young head coach in Kyle Shanahan really, I think, trickles down to the quarterback and has them excel weekly in a good way and the 49ers are going to be a fun team to watch over the course of the next eight weeks agreed agreed and then the rams are three and six they haven't had the year that you would expect them to have sometimes when you get a team that goes to a super bowl the next year they seem to 
fizzle out a little bit in the NFL season, and the Rams are struggling at 3-6. and six. They need a bounce-back win in the worst way, and they will try and do that against the Saints team who's rebuilding. They're 3-7. and seven. A lot of people seem to have high hopes on the Saints, but I figured once Sean Payton put the Bose headset away and handed the baton off to Dennis Allen that the Saints were going to have a year or two where they were going to have to try and rebuild to get themselves back to some winning success when you don't have a big name head coach and Sean Payton and you don't have Drew Brees leading that offense it's going to take time to get back to the postseason I think sometimes uh, these GMs and uh, people who assemble these teams uh, when they win a Super Bowl they feel like okay we'll have uh, the grace of the fans for a couple of years you know you, you will have happy fans for a couple of years because you know Look at the frustration of Jets fans because they haven't won for such a long time. They sometimes sense that we may not be able to repeat. This team may have peaked. Let's just start rebuilding this team now you know, before we start losing, and then we're kind of like uh, up against it as far as uh, fan favor is concerned. You know, I've often seen uh, teams uh, let players go after winning Super Bowls, and you wonder why they did it, but they figure, hey, they figure, let's start rebuilding it now so uh, our, our fans aren't going to be grumbling while we're doing it, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, and then you have a team like the Indianapolis Colts who go out there, have a s- tough start to a season. Jim Irsay fires Frank Reich. Then he decides to bring in a good friend of his, a former offensive lineman in Jeff Saturday, and he asks Jeff Saturday to put the Bose headset on and coach this team. Jeff Saturday decides to start Matt Ryan, and all of a sudden, the Colts get their first win under Jeff Saturday. They're 2-2 two and two at home, and all of a sudden, Jeff Saturday looks like he's the hero in Indianapolis because he starts Matt Ryan Ryan. Matt Ryan has a big game and the Colts get a big victory last week. A lot of people question the move, but you like a lot of what you've seen in the Jeff Saturday uh, debut as head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. Well, they'll be playing an Eagles team that'll be pretty ornery going into Indianapolis. (laughs) Especially coming off of that loss against the Commanders. This will be a very tough task for the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. But listen, like we say, any given Sunday, anything can happen. The NFL is really a sport that can throw the dagger to the chest when you have money on the line with some of these teams that you think are going to go out there and win, and then they just put up a dud, and the upset special ends up being the case in that particular game. So anything can happen any given Sunday, but this Colts team, I think, under the leadership of Jeff Saturday, is going to be a fun team to watch now, Andy. Yeah, well, we'll see how well it holds up, yeah. It's funny, I don't like mid-season football coaching changes anyway because they they have to do so much work to to get themselves in in rhythm for a season. Uh, I just tear it all apart midway through the season. But uh, I would say if the Eagles uh, lose a second game in a row now this week, I'd worry about them because I think this is a game the Eagles really got to win. And uh, I'm I'm expecting them to win. And then when you look at two top-tier quarterbacks in the NFL, Andy, you start to wonder if their best days are 
behind them now as Aaron Rodgers just can't seem to find winning success with the Green Bay Packers and Tom Brady is struggling at best with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you have to start to wonder if the decision by Bruce Arians to hand uh, the coaching duties over to Todd Bowles was really the right decision because you saw life with this team under Bruce Arians you saw this team play better under Bruce Arians. They just seem to be missing a beat this year. And I don't know if you can totally put that on Brady. Yes, he's the quarterback. Yes, his personal life with the distractions with Giselle may have gotten in the way of his game a little bit. But there's just something off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. And it could be the fact that you don't have the big tight end in Rob Gronkowski. It could be the fact that your defense is nowhere near as good as it was last year it could be the fact that you don't have that veteran head coach instilling that philosophy in you to go out there and win now but I can't seem to pinpoint what the problem is but there's a problem there with the Buccaneers that they haven't been able to show their true winning success this season on the football field well they're turning into the yuckineers And then Aaron Rodgers, 38 years old. How much more does he have in him? He seems to have a good year every year. They seem to dominate the NFC North. They always seem to get into the postseason, and then they either flame out in the wild card round or the divisional round year after year. And so far this year, they've been tested every week, and they've lost some key games, and a game they needed to win last night. They lost to a Tennessee Titans team that did it more with Tannehill in the air with 333 yards and two touchdowns than they did with Henry on the ground. And we know the Tennessee Titans win and thrive on the ground game and the run game. But the Titans proved that Tannehill can throw the football, that he can put up points when he has to, and that they can win games by using their quarterback throwing the ball rather than running with the ground game. Yeah, we don't have access to these locker rooms or we don't get to see these teams on the practice field. But I've got a feeling there's some kind of morale issue at Green Bay because remember um, Rodgers was talking about how uh, he's done with uh, football, done with the Packers. Uh, He might come back and play another year, but not with the Packers and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know uh, who enticed him to do one more season with Green Bay here, but uh you know, something's just not clicking there. Uh, something's just uh, uh, at odds. And the other thing that made me sick was when Mike McCarthy took the Dallas Cowboys in there last Sunday to play the Packers in a game that Dallas should have won, by the way. They always find ways to lose games late, and they always get that bad penalty in the fourth quarter that screws them royally from trying to prevail and get a victory. And they're not fundamentally sound through four quarters of play, and that is going to come back and haunt the Cowboys in a big game because you can't continue week after week to have a lead and then find a way to to mess it up in the fourth quarter and lose the game. There's only so much that Zeke is going to give you on the ground. There's only so much that Dak Prescott is going to give you in the air. You got to try and climb that hurdle and be able to finish a game. And the Cowboys can't seem to do that. They 
couldn't do it against the 49ers in a playoff game at home last year in the wild card round. With Green Bay, they were the better team through three quarters. They end up losing in overtime, and the Packers kick a game-winning field goal. So they find themselves on the losing end more often than not when it comes to Mike McCarthy coached football teams with fundamentals and preparedness. But the one thing that bothered me about that was they showed McCarthy arriving at Lambeau Field like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, looking at the field. What a homecoming it was going to be for Mike. McCarthy and then they show him laughing with Aaron Rodgers and joking around yet Rodgers was one of the reasons why Green Bay got rid of him when they did McCarthy because he was having issues with Rodgers so all of a sudden McCarthy comes back to Green Bay and they're good friends that just made Rodgers come off as a phony and that really bothered me last week and the fact that Fox kept pressing it and showing it and showing them kibitzing with one another in the field just annoyed the heck out of me because you don't go out there and throw your coach under the bus and McCarthy loses his job and then he comes back and all of a sudden you act like your best friends. It just bothered me. Speaking of coaches getting thrown under the bus, uh, now I couldn't understand why Dallas uh, got rid of Jason Garrett. Uh, he, he had plenty of success with them. And, uh, you know, I just sometimes I just don't understand what goes into some of these coaching decisions. Garrett's done a good job as an NBC studio analyst alongside Tony Dungy on the uh, NBC Sunday Night Football uh, pre- yeah. and halftime and post-game show. And listen, you know, some of these guys that leave the sidelines and go to TV – end up making great broadcasters in some capacity or analyst. They well, end up got that insight. Yeah. Yes, they do. We've seen it with Gruden. He left the Raiders, went to ESPN, became one of the best color commentators on the television side for ESPN, then went back into coaching, had all of those problems with the emails and, and the racism and all of that and got canned by the Raiders, and now he's trying to find his sea legs back into football. I don't ever think he'll coach again, but the point of the emphasis here is a lot of these guys, whether it's Jimmy Johnson, who's on the Fox pre- and post-game uh, right. shows, or whether it's uh, Bill Cower or Phil Sims or Boomer Esiason with CBS, no matter who it is, or Steve Mariucci on the NFL Network with Michael Irvin and Rich Eisen, and no matter who it is, they end up really giving you good insight week in and week out, covering the teams and covering all these games that they do. They don't only excel from a coaching perspective, they excel doing their job as broadcasters and analysts also. I think during the offseason, when some of these teams evaluate what direction they're going, I got a feeling Jason Garrett's going to be on the sidelines again coaching somebody. Yeah. I think he, he's just got too much to offer. He does. And I think when you look at somebody like Tom Brady, who's having the horrible season that he's having, I don't think he's going to get to the broadcast booth fast enough after this season. And I really think that when you look at Aaron Rodgers, it may be time for Rodgers to say, I've had enough. Let me hang up my Packer uniform. Let me put my helmet away and let me go do something else with the rest of my career. And another guy who you talk about quickly, Andy, is Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson leaves the Seattle Seahawks. He leaves a great 
head coach in Pete Carroll and he goes and wants to play for the AFC West and be a competitor to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Vegas Raiders and the tough and gritty AFC West. And instead, he finds himself on the outside looking in as the Broncos have a lot of work to do. Nathaniel Hackett hasn't gotten the job done as head coach, and it's been a subpar year for Russell Wilson, a quarterback who you would consider being Hall of Fame worthy when you've talked about him in years past. And the Seahawks have the great reclamation project, Geno Smith over there. You know, who, who would have thought a few years ago that he'd be doing what he's doing now? But that's where head coaching and experience and veteran leadership comes in, Andy. You get a guy like Pete Carroll who wants to go out there with the Seattle Seahawks team without his Hall of Fame quarterback calling the plays and all of the winning success that Russell Wilson brought to the Seattle Seahawks. Carroll had one mission this offseason. How is my team going to be as good, if not better, than Russell's team in Denver? Well, let me get Geno Smith to be that quarterback I need him to be and let me have him excel where he excels greatly. And that's his agility with his legs, his big playability downfield, and the fact that he's been able to lead this offense to some big wins so far for the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC West. And you got to give kudos to Pete Carroll because he's got a fine-tuned machine here again in Seattle, and they are going to be a force to be reckoned with as this season starts to dwindle down and the postseason starts to come closer and closer. Yes, sir. Sometimes uh, with quarterbacks, uh, a change of scenery and a, a different voice, a different coach and staff can make a big difference. And before we take our first break, Andy, quickly with the locals, with the Giants this week and with the Jets, what's your perspective for these two teams and how do you see these two games going? The Giants playing the Lions at 1 o'clock at MetLife and the Jets playing the Pats up at Gillette 1 o'clock against uh, Bill Belichick and uh, company. Well, I strongly think the Giants are going to get a win. Uh, the Jets, I'm not really sure because uh, Belichick's over there. They've got a bad history of games with the Patriots, and if something goes wrong, it could be like, okay, here they go again. Uh, but I uh, I still think the Jets, whether they win or lose, they're still going to be very tough here on out. And the, and the Giants are, are right up there for the NFC East. They got a couple of big games coming up with the Eagles yet too. You know, if, uh, if the Giants can keep doing what they're doing, uh, I certainly think they'll be in the playoffs. Yeah, they got two games against the Eagles. They still got to play the Cowboys once. They got to play the Commanders. They have to go out there and they have to play the Vikings. So the Giants yeah, got some tough out of division. They do. There, they know. do. They really do. They have a tough slate coming the next eight weeks in the NFL season. And it's going to be interesting. And another team that's been fun to watch, Andy, and a team that I think can also get into the postseason with first-year head coach Mike McDaniels is the Miami Dolphins. Because with the Miami Dolphins, it's really been about Tua Tugavailoa and what he's been able to do and the way he's been able to transform himself as quarterback to be a leader for this Dolphins team. And this Dolphins team has been fun to watch and really Two is the big reason why. They've got playmakers too. I mean, Tua's got some weapons out there, 
they've got a lot of guys who can uh, blow the game open on you. Yeah, they got a good ground game. Hill's done really well since he's been to Miami. So the Dolphins have been fun to watch this year, and it's going to be interesting to see now how they fare in the AFC East as the Patriots, Bills, Dolphins, and Jets all battle now to try and position themselves for the postseason. It's going to be very fascinating the next eight weeks to see where all of these teams finish as the postseason is quickly approaching in the National Football League. So we gave you a good um, analysis there on the NFL. You're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. As we come to you live every week on Clubhouse and we make it available for podcast playback through Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you get your daily podcast, Sports Buzz Show, the number one at gmail.com. Sports Buzz Show, the number one at gmail.com is where you can reach me for any thoughts about this podcast or anything you want to talk about in the world of sports shoot me an email and i will get back to you as quickly as i can we will discuss a lot more about what's happening in the world of sports but before we do that we're going to step aside for a break we will be back right after these messages after i came home from iraq i could still hear the booms makes it hard to be a good mom As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. DAV helps veterans get the benefits they've earned. Thanks to DAV, I was able to begin to heal. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory is being able to be here for my children. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The life of every child is precious. If you care for a child or teenager with a disability and have limited income and resources, they may qualify for monthly cash payments through the Supplemental Security Income Program, or SSI. Call Social Security at 1-800-772-1213 or visit ssa.gov slash ssikids to learn more. That's ssa.gov slash ssikids. Message produced by Social Security at U.S. taxpayer expense. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz on this Friday, November 18th, as we are just days away from the Thanksgiving holiday. And then after that, we can officially begin the Christmas season as we all make our Christmas lists. We all get our milk and cookies out and we get ready for Santa Claus to come down the chimney and deliver the presents for the good boys and girls. And Andy's been a good boy this year as he will anticipate a good Christmas holiday, right, Andy? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been helping my mom out. She's in her upper 90s. Yeah, I've been a caregiver, so I've had uh, plenty to do. And, uh, you know, I say you gotta got to be good to your parents, right? They were good to you when you were a little baby messing up the <laughs> So, you know, uh, this is uh, the parents get their payback when they get older, and we got to take care of them. 
Yes, I took care of my dad for a long time before he passed about six years ago. So I really know what caregiving's about. We did a lot of hospital runs, a lot of doctor runs, a lot of back and forth. But you know what? That's what we're here to do. We're here to do give God's back work. when we yeah. can, and we're here to do God's work. So you're doing it with your mother. I did it with my dad, and it, it makes us better people in the long term. So with Amen, that, brother. with that said, let's get back into sports as it's Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. We don't have to worry about snow, Andy, but the Buffalo region does as they are getting walloped with a Great Lake snowstorm four to six feet in total for this weekend in Buffalo. And I am glad I do not own a home in Erie County, New York, as these residents of Buffalo will be digging out for days, if not weeks, to try and get their life back in order after a snowstorm has upended Western New York and it moved the Bills game to a neutral site in Detroit as they take on the... Cleveland Browns, and I believe the college football game against uh, Buffalo and Akron this weekend was also postponed, and I don't believe there is a makeup date for that game. And speaking of college football, quickly, Andy, Tulane beat SMU last night 59-24. to The 21-ranked Tulane got a big win last night, and they moved well, to 9-2. and two. <laughs> That was a green wave there. That's their nickname. Yeah, a lot of points, a wave of points. Speaking of college football, number three, Michigan at 10-0, and 7-0 in the Big Ten. They will take on Illinois at 12 o'clock on ABC, and that will be a must-watch game as Michigan looks to continue their aspirations towards the playoff round in college football and a possible berth to the championship. Yeah, they may get in there even if they lose to Ohio State. I mean, uh, if you consider, well, look, who else has played somebody in the top four the way Dewey, Michigan uh, has to play Ohio State? Yeah, we'll see how good Ohio State is, and uh, Michigan can certainly make a big case for themselves just by being in the game. That's always a great game when Ohio State and Michigan play anyway. And there have been other years, and they're both undefeated going into their game. This won't be the first. No, and then number four-ranked TCU will take on Baylor. TCU's been a fun team. Whoever thought we'd talk about TCU University playing for playoff positioning in college football and possible championship berth. Yeah, Clemson was the one who uh, was in that first four before the season began who hasn't quite lived up to their uh, expectation. TCU has stepped right in there. And then you have Georgia. They are just a powerhouse all around, year in and year out out of the SEC. They're 10-0. and They're 7-0 and in the SEC. They'll take on Kentucky 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. And with Georgia, it's about the big playability with the quarterback in Bennett, but they also have a great ground game, a good defense, and they put up a lot of points week in and week out, and they are a tough team to solve for any opponent in college football. They have everything, and, and it's all experience. There is an experienced team as you'll ever see in college football as far as having players back from a championship team. And then you have Ohio State taking on Maryland. Ohio State yeah. is ranked number two. 
you know, Ohio State should prevail. Uh, you know, Maryland's got a nice offense, but uh, against a team at this level, uh, you know, I don't know if they'll really be able to show their wares. But Ohio State uh, has impressed me. I knew they'd be good, and I'm not surprised that they're undefeated, but they, they, they seem to be even getting better and more polished. Uh, they're going to really be contending in those playoffs. They're going to kill the teams that they should kill, and I think they'll stay in the game and create adversity for whoever they play, including Georgia. And then you have Penn State at 8-2, and 5-2 and two in the Big Ten, taking on Rutgers, Andy, who's been a disappointment at 4-6, and 1-6 and six out of the Big Ten. It has not been a good year for Greg Schiano and company, and Rutgers now will try to go into an offseason wondering what they can do to recruit better to get themselves back to their winning ways. You know, it's the thing with Rutgers. They've had excellent uh, quarterbacks, receivers, uh, running backs. Those kinds of positions, they've been as good as anybody. But they don't get those big guys up front. They, they Against uh, recruiting against the other Big Ten teams, they always seem to fall short on the line. That's where games are won and lost, especially in college. And uh, Rutgers has just has a problem being able to recruit. What a year for the fifth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. We go back to that game a few weeks back with that big win at home against Alabama. And that win against Alabama, Andy, I think really moved the Vols up into serious consideration for possibly making a deep run. Yeah, and Alabama has also shown some cracks uh, this year. You know, they're one of those uh, four teams that all the spotlight was on when the season began. I guess Alabama is not a super powerhouse every year. <laughs> they're still darn good, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're vulnerable this year, which when you're looking at Alabama, that's saying quite a lot. Absolutely, Andy. And then you have the LSU Tigers at 8-2, and two, led by head coach Brian Kelly, who's had a decent year this year, and LSU's been a fun, scrappy team to watch in college football. Yeah, they've had a bounce-back year because uh, you remember a few years ago, LSU was right there at that top echelon along with Bama, and, and uh, they took a step back a little bit, but uh, but they're keeping themselves relevant, and uh, good for them. They've got a tradition there, too. Yes, they do, Andy. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish, 18th ranked. We were talking a few weeks back, Andy, when Notre Dame lost in week two, how it was going to be a brutal year for them and they needed to step up. And all of a sudden now they're 7-3, and three, they're ranked 18th, and they can start eyeing a decent bowl appearance this season. Yeah, they almost, uh, I watched that game with Navy, they, they almost blew that game. Notre Dame had a big lead, and Navy uh, closed it into within a field goal. And uh, uh, Navy just uh, running that triple option and once in a while hitting the big pass when it was wide open. But, you know, Navy just didn't look like the kind of team that could make a big comeback because they have such a methodical offense. But here they were. Navy came knocking on the door. They they closed down a couple of touchdown lead there, and uh, I was pretty impressed with Navy. Uh, Notre Dame played a great first half, and I don't know what happened to them in the second half. Dino Babbers and the Syracuse Orange started off strong at 6-0 and in this college football season, and now they've lost four straight, and there's been some shaky times in Syracuse as they can't seem to find their winning ways, and now Syracuse can fall short of getting into a big bowl game, Andy, here for the Orange out of the ACC. 
And you know what? Syracuse and another sport, college basketball, I watched them uh, get beat by Colgate. Two years in a row, they've lost to Colgate in an early season game at the Carrier Dome there. You know, talk about a loss of prestige for one of the uh, game's uh, giant programs. But uh, And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's the end of this year where Jim Beheim will hand a baton off to somebody else to lead the Syracuse Orange. I know that when they were talking about Krzyzewski doing it with Duke last season, they said that Beheim was doing it this year. I believe yeah. this is Bayheim's last year at the helm as head coach for the men's basketball team with Syracuse. And what a pedigree he's built out there, yeah, though, what Andy. A run he's, had. he's been there since the 1970s. And I'm glad he did get that championship in 03 when he had Carmelo Anthony there. When he's had a real talented team, uh, he's been able to win. And the thing about uh, Beheim that stands out is the way that guy plays the 2-3 zone, which just about every high school team plays. But with Beheim, it's a zone that extends. It's aggressive, creates turnovers. It's not a passive zone like uh, so many zone teams just play a passive defense and don't want to commit fouls. But uh, Beheim's zones are really something to watch. And he'll always be remembered for that, being the guy who's done more of the 2-3 zone than any other coach I could ever think of. Yes, and when he leaves the sport of college basketball, it will be another sad day when he walks off the court for the final time, the way it was when Mike Krzyzewski walked off the court after he got Duke to a Final Four appearance. But listen... Duke is going to be in good hands with their new head coach, John Shire. Mike Krzyzewski still going to be there as an advisor. So Duke should definitely be a formidable team this oh, yeah. season. They're ranked number six, I think, uh, Duke. They're right up there. Yeah. So we go from college football to college basketball. And quickly before we end this segment, take a break and get into some baseball talk. It's going to be very interesting, Andy. I remember years past when we were on FM radio, the big powerhouse, 91.9 WNTI FM in Hackettstown from 2006 to 2010. We were the top rated show in our time slot for quality sports talk. We always talked about Rutgers basketball and the leadership of Vivian Stringer and what she did for that program. But another team you talk about is what Steve Peichel's done for the Rutgers men's basketball team as he seems to recruit better and better year in and year out. And the last several years, they've been able to make get into the NCAA tournament and they've, they've been, been a fun marvelous. team. Yeah, they have been marvelous. And Thank goodness we have the Big Ten Network, and you can watch a lot of Rutgers sports. They're exciting, uh, and uh, let's hope they have another uh, season like it. In fact, just a couple of years ago, they won 17 home games uh, in a season. Uh, that's just remarkable uh, with the schedule that they play in the Big Ten and everything. But uh, 17 home wins, that was really something else. It was happening that away in Piscataway. <laughs> so anything else on the college football landscape that you'd like to discuss before we end this segment, Andy? Well, in college football, the biggest games of the year remain to be played. You know, and uh, we'll have this uh, Michigan-Ohio State game and uh, Southeast Conference Championship game and, uh, you know, some really uh, big Titanic-level games are beckoning that we can look forward to as we... Uh, 
come to the end of the regular season here. What surprised you most with this college football season this year? What team has really surprised you most or stood out in a way where TCU, TCU right? Yeah, yeah you know. The level where they are, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people seem very amazed with what they've been able to do. They got a young quarterback. They got a young running back. They got a good head coach. Whoever thought they'd be 10-0 and and on the precipice of possibly being a serious contender for that championship game. Yeah, I guess people have had a hard time taking a team called the Horned Frogs seriously, but here they are. (laughs) Yes, here they are. So with that said, that'll wrap up our college football segment. You're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu coming to you live from the great state of New Jersey, the Garden State, as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports, and we do it every Friday night, live on Clubhouse, and we make it available for podcast playback through Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you get your daily podcast. Passionate Sports Talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto, sportsbuzzshow1 at gmail.com. Sportsbuzzshow, the number one at gmail.com is where you can reach me for any thoughts, feelings, or opinions you have about this podcast, you have about sports. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, do we have any Aaron Judge fans that are worried about him possibly not being in pinstripes next year? Do we have any Jacob DeGrom fans or New York Met fans worried about where the big hurler may end up? We will discuss a lot about what's happening in baseball as we get close to the winter meetings as they get ready to take place in San Diego from December 4th through December 7th. We've had some Cy Youngs. We've had some MVP announcements. We've had some Manager of the Year announcements. We've had a lot happen on the baseball landscape now that the World Series has concluded, and we will come back and give you analysis and our thoughts on all of that right after this on the Sports Buzz. Hi, I'm Fouad Reves. I'm a home builder. And I have a question for all of you out there who are building your dream home. Are you making plans so your home will have healthier indoor air? It's an important question because there's a deadly invisible radioactive gas that can seep into homes from underground. It's radon gas. And when you breathe it in, it can cause lung cancer. Among non-smokers, radon is the number one cause of lung cancer. The good news is that it's simple to build a home so radon is not a problem. Building your home radon resistant is a good, inexpensive way to stop radon from entering your home. Any builder can do it. So protect your family, talk to your builder, tell them you want a healthier, safer dream house. You'll have better dreams. Learn more. Visit the EPA at epa.gov radon. That's epa.gov radon. This public service announcement is brought to you by the EPA, who does not endorse this particular builder or any other commercial enterprise. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment. 
email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto as we welcome one and all sports junkies on a weekly basis to join in on the fun as we give you in-depth analysis on what's happening in the world of sports. And before we get to some baseball, Andy, we do have some games taking place in other leagues as the New York Knicks will head out west and they will get ready to take on the Warriors tonight at 10 o'clock as the Knicks are 8-7 and seven and they are starting to become fun to talk about in the Big Apple. They're a pretty decent fundamental team and uh, they just keep grinding it out. Uh, they get an opportunity to do something in the playoffs. Uh, you know, they're not the flashiest team in the league. They don't have the big name superstars, but uh they can just uh, keep their heads above water, uh, they may do something at the end of the season. Yeah, and Jalen Brunson's having a great season thus far. He's Villanova guy. He's scoring 20 points per game or more since the season started. He can shoot from beyond the arc. He's a good perimeter shooter. He's got some agility. He's got speed down the floor, and he's become a big catalyst for this Nick team who's really looking for winning success under the tutelage of Tom Thibodeau as head coach at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Well, they're at the Warriors tonight, so uh, not that the Warriors are anything what they were a few years ago, but uh, on the road against that team, they'll have a test. And will LeBron James, Andy, eventually hang it up as the L.A. Lakers are not doing well this season thus far as they are 3-10, and they're 3-5 and at home, and the Darvin Ham debut as head coach is seeming to wear thin in Los Angeles as the Lakers just have not gotten the job done, whether it's Anthony Davis or Patrick Beverly or LeBron James, these key guys are not doing what they need to do to win games for the LA Lakers, a team that year in and year out prior, we would talk about daily as being a 60 win basketball team. Yeah. Well, I don't know. LeBron James, uh, how, how long is he going to be able to keep doing it? And, uh, you know, he, he he's probably thinking about other things he could do with his life by now, yeah. Well, he's got his media company. He loves the West Coast. He wanted to go out to L.A. and I think end his career out there. So if things don't go well this season, maybe LeBron will try and uh, hang it up and end his NBA career. And we know the NBA season is long. We know that a lot of these season games really do don't have a big impact on where you end up when it comes to postseason positioning and stuff with the NBA because it's a long, drawn-out season. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about the NBA in weeks to come. But when you look at some of these teams, Andy, with the way they've started, it is head-scratching with the talent that they have on their rosters. 
Well, I watched uh, the Nets the other night. Uh, ben Simmons is uh, starting to look like the player that the uh, 76ers had hoped he would be for them. But uh, looks like there's some life in Ben Simmons. He's had a second coming around here. <laughs> And uh, maybe the Nets will salvage something out of their season yet, but still, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, he's a time bomb. You just don't know what that guy's going to do to that team's chemistry. The tandem of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have definitely been a big distraction for the Brooklyn Nets, but you got to hope that the firing of Steve Nash and the Jock Vaughn interim tag being removed and making him head coach now can definitely be a green light for the Brooklyn Nets to go out there and start getting on the right page. They were supposed to be a better team than they were last year. The Celtics owned them and they couldn't find their way with postseason success. And you got to hope that they can turn the page now and it's got to start with leadership. And if Kyrie Irving can leave all of his personal problems off the court and away from the team and start playing with Kevin Durant to be that powerhouse franchise that you envisioned when you signed with them, then that's what you need to do. But you got to keep your personal problems off of the hardwood. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant, he's one of the greatest talents to ever play this game. I mean, really he is so hard to guard. And uh, the guy's just got so much going for him. You'd think any team that has Kevin Durant would be a powerhouse. But, you know, Andy, I got to tell you, he may be a great player. We, We know what he's done with the teams he's been on and all of that. But you know what? I was sour on him a lot towards the end of uh, last year and then the offseason when he went and made stipulations to sell the owner and sort of stipulated that he wanted certain things to take place with the Nets and he didn't feel that Nash was worthy to be the head coach. I told everybody on this show weeks past and years past that I didn't think Nash was the right fit for this team, but who the hell was he to go to the owner and make that proclamation to him, you know? I'm just soured on Kevin Durant. I think he fueled the flames for Kyrie. I think he brought a lot of unnecessary issues also to the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that him and Kyrie together has not been the positive plan that the Nets had in mind when they came to Brooklyn. And those two guys have been a huge distraction for this NBA team that has wanted a lot more out of this franchise playing in the Barclays Center. They don't have a great appeal with the fan base there's a lot of fans that just can't stand watching them day in and day out because of what they've done in Brooklyn and they're just not a team that people enjoy and you want to enjoy your team and they got to find a way to get the fan base back in and enjoy them on a daily basis they're they're a boring team right now the Nets yeah they don't have a complete roster either I mean they don't they don't get much off the bench you know, it's just a couple of stars out there, but, uh, yeah, the, they like a lot of the cohesion and, uh, things that you really need to, to win in basketball and just uh, gritty defense, <laughs> you know, that counts for a lot too, you know, it'll well, be a struggle for those Nets. Oh, it is. It is. And I think when, when you look at the two New York teams with the Nets and Knicks, Andy, I actually think we'll be talking more about the success of the New York Knicks and the positive direction they're moving in towards winning with Tom Thibodeau and company than we will be about the Brooklyn Nets. And I get the Brooklyn Nets have the better roster. I get the Brooklyn Nets are a win-now basketball team, but they haven't proven that since Durant and Kyrie joined forces in Brooklyn.
And they have to find a way to prove that to make me buy in. And so far, I'm not buying in to the Brooklyn Nets. There's been too much damage with this team. Well, the Knicks are playing the game the right way. And uh, that, that, that counts for a lot over a long season. Yes, it does. And with that said, why don't we veer off, Andy, into what has been some exciting baseball news over the last several days as the New York Mets, who fell short in the postseason to the Padres in a three-game series with 101 wins. The New York Mets had (laughs) under their belt, well, a lot of that credit goes to Buck Showalter as he got NL Manager of the Year for the New York Mets. And what a year he had. 101-win baseball team. They did it without DeGrom and Scherzer. Through the first part of the season, they did it with the bats. They were fundamentally sound. They had great bullpen relief. Diaz had one of the best years of his career closing games for the New York Mets. Alonzo had an MVP season. They got good games out of McGill. And some key guys stepped up when they had to to give them a good six solid innings of work before they went to the bullpen. And all around, this was a good Met team. Escobar did what he had to do. Lindor had a great year for the Mets with the bat. Alonzo, as I said, had an MVP season. Brandon Nemo did his due diligence at the top of the order. The fact that the Mets now are are not really hopeful in signing Brandon Nemo worries me because I'd rather miss him. Oh, he, he, he would really be missed. He would be. And you're hearing uh, some murmurs that he could be a Toronto Blue Jay. You're hearing some murmurs that he could possibly be an L.A. Dodger. So it doesn't seem like the Brandon Nemo sweepstakes for the New York Mets is high right now with Steve Cohen and company because you would have thought that if they were high on Nemo, they would have signed them. And instead, Nemo's being bantied about by many other teams in baseball. And that's worrying the Met fan because he is a great hitter at the top of the lineup. He produces and he's the catalyst to lead the Mets on the base pads to get runs across. And he gives you some pop at the top of that lineup and some speed. And I'm a little worried right now as a Met fan that Brandon Nemo may not be in a Met uniform next year. Well, the Mets had so many come from behind rallies where they put hits together and, uh, but Nemo uh, was the spark plug to all that. And, uh, you know, Buck Showalter, one thing you look at Buck, he's had a long career. He's been manager of the year with four different teams, with the Yankees. The, the 94 Orioles. Yanks, the 2004 Rangers, the 2014 Orioles. He's done it all, Buck. He really has in his fourth time now with the New York Mets. And really, he was the right hire. He really was. When Steve Cohen went out there and hired him, I came to the microphone and told you he was a guy that was going to change this team and change this franchise around, and he did it in one season. And there was a ton of excitement in Queens. City Field was just lit up every single night that they played. And the fan base was really relishing the fact that they finally had a leader in the dugout that knew what it took to win and knew what it took to manage nine innings of baseball. And really, Buck fit in nicely with this team. He fit in nicely with the media. The owner and him seemed to have a good relationship. Billy Epler seemed to 
come in here and make a lot of right moves for the New York Mets, but we are in an offseason right now, Andy, where there's a lot of question marks, and the biggest question mark is, where is Jacob deGrom going to end up? What is Jacob deGrom going to be doing? Will he be a Texas Ranger with Bruce Bochy? Will he go and be a starting pitcher for the LA Dodgers? Will Jacob deGrom find his talents cross town with the New York Yankees? That is all yet to be determined, but I'm starting to think as we get deeper into this offseason that Jacob deGrom days as a New York Met may be over on the mound at City Field. Could be, you know. Well, the Mets have had they have some decisions to make. You got some guys in that lineup in that on the uh, in the infield and outfield, and guys who really were contributing and had a, a unique uh, chemistry there. You got a guy Jeff McNeil, batting champion. I mean, you got to pay him. The interesting thing about the Mets, uh, because the story of that team became their offense, as far as I'm concerned, because that overcame the disappointments with the the pitching. But uh, we have baseball these days. Everybody's so shift-happy, and they're even talking about legislating that you have to keep two infielders on each side of the infield. They're talking about making that a rule. Up against so many shifts all the time, and these guys on the Mets, they just constantly hit to the opposite field. You know, not swinging for the fence because usually the shift works because the guy's up there pulling the ball, trying to hit a home run and hits a lot of deep flies. But the Mets would go for that base hit the other way, hitting it wherever there's an opening. And that's teamwork. You know, that's guys uh, willing to put the team ahead of their personal stats. And uh, they, they do deserve some kind of a reward for that, you know, because you can only have that. Once in a while, if you don't appreciate it, these guys are going to go to other teams, and then the Mets will be a team again as they were in the past that could pitch but didn't hit. <laughs> you know, last year they hit, and uh, it overcame some uh, pitching problems. It's very interesting to see what's going to happen with the Mets here. And then you have the New York Yankees, and you have the 62 home runs and the offensive catalyst in Aaron Judge, and you have a Yankees team that needs to offer him anything that he wants because of what he did with the New York Yankees this season. He was the reason for the Yankees' success. We've said in past weeks that he should be captain, that he should be given a, a huge lucrative contract, and that they should build the team around Aaron Judge and start getting the dynasty in order again in the Bronx. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. You have one side of the coin where they said, well, you know, Anthony Rizzo resigned for 40 million. So that should then tell us that Aaron Judge is going to be close to signing a deal with the Yankees. Well, that necessarily may not be the case because if Judge was going to sign, wouldn't Steinbrenner have given him the contract with the pen and have him put his name on the dotted line? Yeah, you know, interesting about Judge is he's, he's from California, and he is uh, personality-wise, too. He's somewhat more of a West Coast guy than an East Coast guy as far as, uh, you know, Judge uh, is very, very calm, measured. He, he doesn't, uh, you know, he's not flamboyant. Uh, he cares, and he uh, not to say that he doesn't show any emotion out there at all. He he does. He's more measured. He's not 
he's not nuts. So, and uh, he he may feel more at home signing with a California team. Like uh, you look at Judge uh, physically, the largest player in the major leagues, you would say he's a giant, and he may just end up being a San Francisco giant. It would not shock me to see that happen. He. That's kind of like uh, a place he'd be feel very comfortable playing with his family and friends there. You know that a lot of that stuff counts to a ball player. You know it isn't just about the money. No, it isn't, and we know he's from California. We know the Dodgers have expressed some interest in Judge. You know, when we had Bobby Valentine on a few weeks ago, we asked him about his theory as to where Aaron Judge was end up. He mentioned the New York Mets. I'm starting to think now that that's not going to happen. I don't think the Mets are as interested in Judge as they perceive themselves to be prior to the offseason, I think that they have enough there offensively where they can do without Judge. I think for the Mets right now, it's really about shoring up their bullpen outside of Diaz closing games for you, and it's about getting one more solid starter in your rotation if you're to lose DeGrom. I think that's where the Mets' focal point should be rather than getting another big hitter like Aaron Judge. Yes, Judge would be appealing to any baseball team that's willing to give him over $300 million. But I don't think it's it's dire that the Mets go and land Aaron Judge. Do you agree, Andy? Yeah, I agree. The Mets have a lot of pieces that they need to keep together. I mean, they won 100 games this year by having a lot of pieces that work together. You know, they're uh, not so much a team of singular stars, although they have one in Pete Alonso who's got a great career ahead of him yet. Uh, they've got their slugger, and they and he got protection too. I mean, Lindor and Alonso put together were a good three, four combination. And Escobar. Escobar did a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, and he was usually batting sixth or seventh. I mean, they had a deep lineup. You know, he had Nemo setting the table. He had all the classic parts of a lineup that you need. And uh, you don't want to lose that. And uh, DeGrom, just based on his history with the Mets, you know, he's like the, the best pitcher they've had since Seaver. And he's uh, and, the C- and when the Mets traded Seaver, they really fell on some hard times for a while. And, and uh, the Mets really should do whatever it takes to keep DeGrom there. Uh, I think for uh, not only him being the face of the franchise, but also he just got to take a chance that he could have another few more of those Cy Young-type years. Uh, he probably still has it in him, and they could certainly use that. And speaking of pitchers, Andy, the Mets uh, made a big trade earlier today that came down the wire as Mike Puma from the New York Post reported that the Marlins sent the Mets Eliaser Hernandez and Jeff Brigham for their minor league star-studded pitcher Franklin Sanchez, who we heard a lot about last season as being the up-and-coming for this organization. And Franklin Sanchez now will take his talents to Miami. So we yeah, can't, can't fault that move. Yep, that should be interesting. And Brigham, yeah, he's 30 years old. He posted a 3.38 earn run average, and he pitched 24 innings a season ago. So both Hernandez and Brigham were designated for assignments by the Marlins earlier in the week, and the Mets end up acquiring them in a trade for Franklin Sanchez. Oh, yeah, well, they needed to do some because it doesn't look like Bassett is going to stay with the Mets, is he? 
No, it doesn't look like that right now. And Bassett was actually one of the biggest additions to a Mets team and really pitched well for the New York Mets this season. You know, and they had problems in the rest of the rotation. Bassett was a pretty dependable guy, you know, keeping keeping the Mets from going on long losing streaks. Yeah, he had a 3-4-6 earn run average. He pitched the Mets deep into games. He was a good 6-7 inning pitcher every time he took to the slab, and he was reliable, and that's what you got out of Bassett, and he was a workhorse, and it doesn't seem like there's a mutual interest between the Mets and Bassett and his agent to stay in Queens, so that's going to be interesting to see where Chris Bassett ends up next season. Yeah, which creates a hole in that rotation. (laughs) But the two biggest names we look at, Andy, are DeGrom for the Mets and Judge for the Yankees. And right now, all eyes are on the Yankees and all eyes are on Aaron Judge as the fans are anxiously awaiting a decision. And I'll say one thing. If Aaron Judge doesn't sign with the Yankees or if Steinbrenner doesn't do his due diligence to give Judge whatever he wants with salary and years, then there is going to be a lot of hardship with this New York Yankees team for the 2023 baseball season because the fans go to the park to see the players perform, and Aaron Judge performed day in and day out in a Yankee uniform. And to break Roger Maris's record the way he did and to put that offense on his back the way he did, he was the sole focal point of this New York Yankees team in the 2022 season, and he is what drew the fans to the ballpark Day in and day out, Steinbrenner needs to get a deal done. Yeah, like I can, I can actually compare the Yankees of this year to the Yankees of Roger Maris. I'm old enough to have watched uh, plenty of Yankee games back in the Maris days. The Yankees had a deep lineup when Maris was there, and uh, the Yankees did not have a deep lineup this year with uh, Judge there. I mean, Judge carried that team on his back. Certainly deserving of Most Valuable Player Award for sure. I mean, I can just imagine where the Yankees would have been without him. You know, they say when you consider Most Valuable Player, try to picture what would that team have been without him. I don't think the Yankees, uh, might they might not have even made the playoffs without Judge. A lot of people won't renew their season tickets if Judge isn't there next year. That, that, that's cutting right down the bottom line there. You couldn't have hit the nail on the head any harder than you just did, Andy. And speaking of MVP, what about Paul Goldschmidt for the St. Louis Cardinals getting the National League MVP? And what a year he had. And he was a big offensive catalyst for the Cardinals' run to the wild card round where they fell short against the Phillies. But he sparked that Cardinals' offense with Albert Pujols this season. And uh, he and had Aaron a great Adder year. Aaron was there. Yeah, Aaron Adder was there, too. They had a a star-studded uh, team. You know, when you when you look back at what they did, yeah, I thought Machado would win the uh, National League MVP simply because of the fact that uh, Tatis uh, did what he did and, and missed uh, you know the whole season there, and uh, you know it goes from an injury to a suspension. Yeah, he didn't do much for the team at all, and uh, and also when they made the trade, uh, Bell and Juan Soto uh, were. They had an adjustment period there where they weren't 
red hot either. Uh, Machado, where would they have been without him? <laughs> Again, with most valuable players, emphasis on the word valuable. Uh, yeah, I don't see the Padres making the playoffs without Machado this year. No, and and they had a great fielder too. Yeah, and they had some good pitching too. Late in the year and in the postseason, their pitching really stepped up. Whether it was Musgrove, key guys, yeah, Darvish, just key guys stepped up. Snell when they needed to, and the Padres' pitching became a main focal point to their winning success late in the season and into the postseason. And speaking of pitching, Andy, we had our two Cy Young Award winners announced for the 2022 baseball season, and no other than 39-year-old Justin Verlander and the World Series champion Houston Astros as Verlander was the Cy Young Award winner. Verlander, a free agent, where will he end up? And what Verlander was able to do, a pitcher coming off of Tommy John surgery, to do what he did and to have the success he's had year in and year out, Andy, has just been remarkable. He is definitely Hall of Fame worthy, Justin Verlander. Hey, certainly the only guy to do what he did coming off of a Tommy John surgery. And, and he joined some luminary names as far as being a three-time Cy Young award winner. You know, he, he joins uh, Tom Seaver, Jim Palmer, uh, trying to think of who some of these guys are who won three Cy Youngs. Now, Clemens won seven, although some of those may have been, may have been aided by chemicals. I remember Steve Carlton won four. Uh, there's a few of them who won three, and uh, Verlander's uh, up in that uh, stratosphere there. <laughs> Yes, he is. And then the Marlins, the 27-year-old Sandy Alcantara, who's got one of the most wicked fastballs I've ever seen thrown. He ends up getting it for the Marlins as the NL Cy Young, and he's the third Dominican-born pitcher to win a Cy Young, joining Bartolo Colon and three-time winner Pedro Martinez. And he logged a lot of innings. I think he and Zach Wheeler were right up there near the top in terms of innings pitched. And uh, Alcantara just didn't pitch for a team that hit. (laughs) That was the Marlins' problem. Uh, They were uh, one of the worst offensive teams in the league. And yet he still went out there and gave you a good game, game after game. And then you have Terry Francona, the manager of the Cleveland Guardians, who had 92 wins and 70 losses, a young team, not a ton of veterans, but found a way to manage this team to the postseason, fell short in five games, but played a good five-game series against the Yankees, couldn't defeat him in the divisional round. But what a year for Terry Francona, and what a job he's done with a young Guardians team to really... uh, make a name for himself in the baseball sport. Oh, marvelous job. No, nobody expected them to win that division. <laughs> I mean, nobody, I don't, I don't think there was any, uh, any pundits who, who, who thought they'd be winning the division, but uh, Terry Francona found a way. And it's his third award. He won one in 2013 and won one in 2016. And he did it all with, Cleveland and now he got his third in 2022 so congratulations to Buck Showalter and Terry Francona as they are the 
Manager of the Year for the NL and AL. Your Cy Young Award winners were Justin Verlander of the Astros, Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins, and your MVP finalists were Aaron Judge and Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, you know what? Uh, Terry Francona can claim to be the only baseball manager who managed uh, Michael Jordan professionally. Because <laughs> when Michael Jordan uh, uh, tried to do his thing in baseball, I remember he retired from the Bulls and he played double-A baseball for a couple of years, and Terry Francona was his manager. Yes, I do remember that, Andy. I, I do remember that record. So when we talk about free agency, Andy, we also talk about Otani possibly being a um, free agent and could possibly Otani end up in a Met uniform next year. That would not be interesting. It would be. And listen, you know, I just got to be thinking he wants to play in a world series and he doesn't see that happening with the angels. No, it's not the angels. Every year you think that there's going to be some promise for this team. And every year they find a way to fade. And since Mike Shosha's left this uh, franchise, the angels have not been, a fun team to watch or banty about on a daily basis. So it's going to be interesting to see what a lot of these teams do. Where will Trey Turner end up? Will the Dodgers end up with Jacob DeGrom? Will Aaron Judge stay on the East Coast in pinstripes as a New York Yankee, or will he go back to his hometown of California? What will happen? I've got a feeling Trey Turner is going to be a Philly next year. Well, that's what I'm hearing, Andy. A lot of people keep saying that the Phillies are very interested in Trey Turner. And Turner's interested in the Phillies as well. Wow. I'll tell you what, though. He'd be very good in that lineup. He'd add some speed to the base pads. And the Phillies are going to be a formidable team. A lot of players are going to want to go play for the Phillies now after that run they had. Yeah, and they need a leadoff hitter because uh, they had Schwarber hitting leadoff all year. And the theory behind that was, well, if batting leadoff, he'll get pitches to hit. And, yes, he did get his 46 home runs and some big postseason home runs too. But still, uh, you, you need somebody gets uh, gets on base a lot. And, well, Turner would be just a perfect uh, leadoff man anywhere he plays. And uh, I think he's just what the Phillies need. He'd be that catalyst. and. Uh, you got a team there that can have rallies and put a lot of hits and runs together. And with Turner at the top of the order, that that'd be really great to watch. Oh, it would be Andy and, and give them defense too. And the Phillies need to upgrade their defense. So he could help them both sides of the ball. So as we end this segment with baseball free agency, and as we get ready for the baseball winter meetings taking place in San Diego from the 4th to the 7th, where the baseball winter meetings, we should see some activity there. We should see some signings. We should see some agents finally making some deals with general managers and owners of their respective teams. And I think that both the Mets and Yankees are going to be active, but in which way are they going to be active is yet to be determined. And, you know, listen, 
The Mets gave you 101 wins. You weren't expecting what you got out of the Mets in year one under Buck Showalter. I think the pressure is more on the Yankees. The Yankees haven't been to a World Series since 2009. They fall short in the postseason year after year. The Astros have been haunting them year after year. The Astros have become the dominant AL team that everybody wants to just go out there and beat now as they continue to find ways to win. Dusty Baker's coming back for another year. They got a good owner who likes to spend money and likes to go after big names. And they got great players. Yeah, Alvarez and that kid at shortstop was really great. Altuve. Yeah, Altuve's been so solid there. And uh, Bregman at third. Yes. He doesn't come up in the conversation much, but boy, is he a clutch player and a good fielder and just an all-around solid player. And they lose Springer. Springer goes to Toronto and still has a great year. Yeah. And uh, the Astros, uh, at least defensively, they're they're good in center field. That's the main thing. you got to have a center fielder out there who can go get them. And uh, they've got all the pieces together here. And, and yeah, you may have uh, Gurriel getting old over there at first base, but they picked up Mancini in a trade, and uh, he's he's a younger player who could take over there. And uh, my goodness, they're going to be up there again next year, too. And And that Framer Valdez and Lance McCullers and Presley at the back end of the bullpen closing games and Hector Neris and... Jose Urgidi, you know, I mean, just well, all... It's amazing of- what they did with Naris because he, he was with the Phillies for a long time and he wasn't all that good. And he goes to Houston and uh, he was a solid part of a solid bullpen. It's just amazing what the Astros have been able to do. And listen... Dusty Baker coming in, taking over this franchise, which was plagued by that cheating scandal and sign-stealing scandal in 2017. They fire A.J. Hinch. They go in there. They bring in Dusty Baker. And all of a sudden, Dusty, the way he turns the tide and makes them back to being a team that you can legitimately root for year in and year out and have fun doing so without a cheating scandal tied to their name. It's really fascinating what Dusty's been able to do. And he was deserving of winning of the World Series. He's an old school manager. Yeah, he's he's he got one. He's been around the block in the sport many, many times, and finally he got his World Series trophy, and it was nice to see Dusty Baker do that. Now you have to wonder where the Astros go for a general manager, and that's going to be key. Where do they go for a general manager now? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Dusty had a seven-game World Series with the Giants when they lost to the Angels, and and Dusty had, uh, in game six, he had a five-run lead going into the eighth inning, and they only needed six outs to close out the series, and they lost. And uh, that had to hurt Dusty for a long time. So he's he's climbed that hurdle. He's a world champion now, and he's had plenty of playoff success and plenty of success as a manager. I mean, remember the good job he did with the Washington Nationals. I remember when he uh, was over there and he kind of picked up a team that started sagging a bit and he brought them right back up there. So, uh, so good for Dusty. So Andy, as we end this baseball segment, give me some of your final thoughts as what we're going to see from some of these teams, some of the locals 
And uh, also, you know, Benintendi, where does he end up? What does he do? Does he put on a Yankee uniform? Are they going to get Carpenter back? You know, Donaldson's been a bust since he joined the Yankees. So many of these teams, whether it's the Mets, Yankees, Phillies, some of these national teams, some of these West Coast teams, you know, there's so many question marks surrounding them. It's really going to be interesting to see how all this plays out as the offseason progresses, the winter meetings begin and we see all the maneuvering take place with all these respective teams in the sport. Well, the Yankees have signed free agents over the years, uh, looking back over the last couple of decades. A lot of them seem to come in and have a hard time adjusting to playing in New York. Uh, and you seem to see it with Yankee players more so than Mets players, probably because the Yankees have signed so many more big-name players. But uh, they don't always get with it in New York. Uh, eventually they do, but uh, starting out, it's like a whole, a whole new world to them, and it's a, a scary, stressful world. And, uh, you know, the thing is that the Yankees do sign uh, Mr. 61 home runs. Uh, you know, the judge, if they do sign him, they may not be able to keep some of the other guys around, and uh, th that's a big problem. They need to develop some good complementary players out of the farm system. The way he usually does work, where you can make your your free agent acquisitions, but you got to have that foundation out of the farm system. And uh, the Yankees need to find a core out of there instead of just chasing after guys in free agency or trying to make trades. So on this Friday, November 18th, Andy, a few days before Thanksgiving, baseball's officially over. Will Aaron Judge be a New York Yankee, and will he be in pinstripes in 2023? No. Wow. You heard it from Andy Loigu on the sports bus, who does not believe Aaron Judge will be a New York Yankee. How about Jacob DeGrom, Andy? Uh, with the Mets? Yes. I would say yes. Uh, they will do what it takes to keep DeGrom and try to keep the rest of the team in place as well as they can. Now, in signing DeGrom, they might lose Nemo. And, uh, well, I have uh, a feeling they're going to lose Nimmo. Everything I've read this week points to Nimmo not being a New York Met. You've seen interest from the Toronto Blue Jays. You've seen some banter with the Dodgers and Nemo's agent taking place. So it doesn't seem to me right now like the Mets would be a favorite to get Brandon Nemo back in a Met uniform in Queens. I am starting to really think that Nemo's going to another team, and that saddens me because he is one of the offensive catalysts that I wouldn't want to lose as a Met fan. Yeah, if they lost him, I guess they would put uh, McNeil into the uh, leadoff spot every day, and, and I think he's a player who can handle that. Uh, oh, yeah, he's then, proven he could hit in the leadoff yeah. spot. Sure, and do it consistently. Uh, you know, they would leave themselves a little weakness at the bottom of the lineup, but uh, not every team has a great bottom of the lineup anyway. So, uh, yeah, the Mets may be thinking, uh, yeah, if, if McNeil can be our leadoff guy and we can keep the team mostly together, you know, certainly keep Alonso and uh, Francisco Lindor together. Uh, that's a must. But uh, I would say, given what DeGrom means to the Mets, just uh, keeping the season tickets coming back and everything. And, and with the likelihood that DeGrom is going to have a couple of more super years, uh, they just have to keep him there. And I think they have the wherewithal to do it. 
And another team, Andy, that we're going to hear a lot about, another team that's going to be in the sweepstakes for a lot of these top-tier players in the sport is going to be the Texas Rangers. They opened up a beautiful new ballpark. They're a fun team. They bring in Bruce Bochy to be manager. He's a big name already in the dugout. You got some key guys there with Seeger and Simeon. You got a young team. You want to add a few more veterans, but you could see the Texas Rangers being a formidable team in the AL West in the next few years, and you're going to see them, I think, start acquiring some more big-name guys to help lead this team to much-needed wins. We may see that right after Thanksgiving when uh, everybody starts to focus in on those owners' meetings. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I think uh, the Rangers are going to want to – they don't want to – they're probably tired of being the second team in Texas right now. They'd like to uh, advance a little bit here and uh, make some noise in that American League West, yeah. And then you have a team that every year goes out there and signs big names and – Signs guys like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and the Clayton Kershaws of the world and the Justin Turners of the world, but they can never seem to get over the hump and get that championship. I understand they won it in the shortened COVID pandemic year against the Rays. I get that, but the Dodgers, Andy, have not exceeded expectations the last several years when it comes to World Series play on the diamond. When it comes to regular season, there's been nobody better over the last 10 years. But that's a funny thing, too, though. You know, you never know what to expect in a short series. Uh, you know, it's funny. You can prognosticate all you want, but uh, you, know, you just look at, especially in this playoff era and with wild cards and everything, uh, you, really, you really don't know who's going to be in that World Series, even if you have some teams with 100 games. No, I mean, if I came to the microphone in – June or July, and I told you the Phillies were going to play the Astros in the World Series, you would have told me to go see a psychiatrist. I need my head checked. So, you I know. I said, hey, I'll, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> but I, was, yeah, I wasn't expecting the Phillies to be in the World Series this year. I was thinking they would contend, but uh, yeah, I didn't really ex- I didn't really see this coming. And that's what makes baseball special. You can go out there, you can be a division leader for 162 games, but once that postseason comes, it's anybody's game to win, and we've seen it year in and year out. We've seen it in 2019 with the Nationals defeating the Astros to get a World Series. We've seen it last year with the Braves defeating the Astros, and now we've seen it this year with the Astros defeating the Phillies. So there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to postseason play in baseball and we get to witness it every year and that's what makes the postseason so much fun the way it's so unpredictable year in and year out well that's what the playoffs have brought us yes (laughs) because uh, now you have a tournament Uh, i'm old enough to remember when you just had your american league uh, 100 team winner and a national league 100 team game winner and uh, they would go into the world series a lot of years by the middle of September, you knew what the World Series matchup was going to be. We had teams with uh, better than a six-game lead in each league. With about a week to go in the season, you just started looking forward to the World Series. But now you got uh, these layers of playoffs, and uh, it's the hot team now, you know, not the team yeah. that was on top the whole season. 
See, with the NFL, it's different because the NFL, you could be a 14-15 win team. You could get a bye week. You could play your divisional round and championship round at home, and you can march your way right in to a Super Bowl. So the NFL is a little different because home field is key in the NFL, in my opinion, to really garner you a chance at getting to the Super Bowl. Physically, you need that week off. Yeah, you physically need that. In baseball, you know, you worry about maybe losing your momentum if you have a week off. Yeah. But in football, you need it just to get healed up, just to get some of the soreness out. But when you talk about the postseason, Andy, I still think the one-and-done factor in the postseason is the best type of postseason play. Baseball, it's different because it's a series and there's dramatics and there's excitement. But when you have a postseason or tournament like the NCAA tournament or the NFL playoffs where it's one-and-done, that's really excitement at its finest. Well, yeah, that's your March Madness, and you have those crazy upsets every year <laughs> uh, where you know if if those teams played four out of five, you know who would win. But, you know, it's funny uh, about that whole mentality, uh, bringing up a little bit of ice hockey here, but you're, you ever see that movie Miracle about the 1980 yes. USA Olympic? Uh, and uh, that, was a, that was a great uh, pep talk that uh, – who was that famous actor who played the coach? You know, he's talking to the guys about uh, – the hockey, the the Soviet hockey team was like the greatest hockey team ever played put together in the world. I mean, they beat NHL teams in exhibitions. I mean, that was just an unbelievable team. And he says, and they could go out there and they would beat us nine times in a row. But then he says, but not tonight. You're <laughs> talking about, about you're they, talking they, about the actor Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah, there you go. I mean, he's talking about, yeah, this this great, awesome team and everything. And But then he says, but not tonight. Tonight is our <laughs> night. <laughs> and he really got those guys believing it, and it came true, you know. So that's great, you know, just hold nothing back for one night. There's a reason they called it miracle. <laughs> but you see that in other sports, too, that, that underdog mentality, you know. Speaking of hockey, quickly, Andy, and we'll keep this quick. Who would have thunk it that the Devils would be 14 and 3? The New Jersey Devils. What a start to the 2022 season they've had at the Prudential Center in Newark. Well, you know, uh, it actually surprised me that they fell off the way they did for a few years there because. You know, the Devils, uh, when they won some Stanley Cups, they were a very consistent, a real good organization that just did everything the right way. They were, they were always up there, and they were always ready for the playoffs, and it always gave teams a tough time if they didn't win at all. They were, and then uh, it dropped off, and that actually surprised me. Uh, it's nice to see them back uh, up there now, although, you know, it's funny. Hockey in particular uh, – in recent years, that team that wins the President's Cup has the best record. I mean, when's the last time one of those ever won the Stanley Cup? I mean, uh, we've had a lot of disappointments. When I remember one year, I think the Rangers had the best record in the league, right? Yeah. You know, they did, well, I'll tell you what. In the playoffs. That Jesper Brett on the Devils, he is really fun to watch, Andy. He's leading them in points. He's got 22 points so far. This season, in seven games with 15 attempts at the goal, he's off to a good start, Jesper Brett, and he's fun to watch. Yeah. It might be the next Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I saw Ovechkin's uh, 700th goal. 
Oh, you uh, he did? did in, yeah, he did it in New Jersey against the Devils. And I was lucky enough to to find myself with a seat for that game. And uh, that, that was one. Uh, that was one of the. Yeah, I've seen uh, Frank Robinson's 500th home run and Ovechkin's 700th career goal. So I've, I've been to a couple of uh, milestone games there. How do you find going to a hockey event, Andy? Do you enjoy going to see a hockey game in person? Do you oh, it's think great it... in person? Uh, if you ask me, it's much better than watching on TV. I mean, you hear all the sounds, you, you, and, and the game is so fast when it's right there in front of you. you it loses something on TV. It, it's great in person, fantastic in person. Yeah, it sounds it. I got to get out to a hockey game soon and get to witness a, a live event like that. The Islanders are eleven and seven. The Rangers are off to a slow start as they're eight and six, and the Philadelphia Flyers are seven and seven, Andy. So the locals are doing better than expected at the start of this 2022 NHL season. Yeah, the Flyers had a couple of disappointing years, and the Flyers are one of those teams that uh, had a great regular season and didn't do it in the playoffs a few years ago. And then, well, Giroux used to be uh, counted on to do so much for them, and he's not there any longer. But uh, we'll see how it all plays out. And then you get a team like the Rangers who seem to get off to slow starts year after year but find themselves in the postseason and making a deep run to try and get to the Stanley Cup final. That crazy guy who coached the Rangers to a lot of success in the playoffs a few years ago. The Flyers have him now, so uh, we'll see how it all works out. Yeah, but he was a good coach, Andy. Oh, yes, yes. Some of his John Tortorella. Yeah, right. Some of his methods are a little wacky, but uh, he wins. He coached the Blue Jackets from 2015 to 2021. So he left the Rangers, went to the Blue Jackets, and now he finds himself in Philadelphia coaching the Flyers. And we've had so many great storylines with these Philadelphia franchises in 2022, we got the Eagles off to an 8-1 and start. We had the Phillies get to a World Series. Now we just have to see the Sixers climb the hump, and can the Flyers make some magic and be a great hockey team? I could contribute something funny. Back in the early 70s, I was sports editor at the Ocean County Daily Times, a paper that doesn't even exist anymore. But at the time... Uh, in addition to the local high school stuff, I had media credentials in Philadelphia. So uh, usually on Sundays when they were home, I'd go see those Philadelphia teams. But in 73, Philadelphia had last place teams uh, in basketball, baseball, and football. But then they all picked up and did real well in 74, and the Flyers won the Stanley Cup in 74. But I remember in 73 in a column, I lamented the Philadelphia teams, or I said that, the star-spangled Philadelphia 76ers dif- disgraced the flag, and the uh, Philadelphia Phillies disgraced the national pastime, and the Philadelphia Eagles disgraced the national bird. <laughs> but in another, in another year, though, all those teams started winning, and it all got kicked off by the Flyers winning that Stanley Cup, and all of a sudden, Philly had winners and everything for a while. And also in 1980, the uh, Phillies won the World Series, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, and the Flyers and Sixers went to the finals uh, all within a one-year period. So sometimes the winning gets contagious in Philadelphia. But on the other hand, uh, there's also been some years when losing has been contagious. (laughs) 
Speaking of Philadelphia sports and their fans, Andy, do you find that the Eagle fans are also zoned in to the Phillies, to the Sixers, and to the Flyers, or are the Flyer fans much more into the hockey side of it, but could care less about the NBA, the baseball, or the football side of it? Well, the the Flyers fans who go to the games, uh, they are hockey fans first. You know, they uh, they have a great season ticket base, and uh, those people are hardcore ice hockey. You see everything in the Phillies. You can go to a Phillies game, and you'll see all the hats, you know, on the jackets. You'll see Sixers fans, uh, Flyers fans, Eagles fans. You see them all at the Phillies games. And uh, the Eagles games, uh, I've always said the people from Jersey who go to Eagles games are nice people. But the people from South Philly, uh, you know, there's kind of a zoo element there. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say uh, there, there are some wacko Eagles fans. And, uh, you know, you've heard the stories about how the, the Philadelphia police actually put up a, uh, a satellite police station there at the uh, stadium to handle a lot of the disorderliness problems and violence and some of the stuff. that I've, I've seen blood at Eagles games, sad to say. Yeah, of course, those people uh, sully the names of the good people who go to the games. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's some fanaticism in Philly, uh, which winning uh, really kicks off. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I remember Harold Carmichael was a receiver with the Eagles back in the 70s. When the Eagles are losing and they were getting booed, and I remember him uh, saying once to I was among a group of reporters who were talking to him, and Harold says, well, they may boo, but at least they're there and they care. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking... That's a nice philosophical way of looking at it. Yes, and speaking of hockey, quickly, Andy, you know, the sport has grown on me over the years. When we were back on FM radio, 91.9 WNTI-FM, the big-time public radio station powerhouse there in northwest new jersey on an fm signal we talked a lot about the devils and the rangers and we covered a lot of the local hockey sports teams when we had to for big games and big moments and i gotta tell you the sport has grown on me over the years and we know that it's got a huge canadian appeal to it and it's got a big canadian fan base and when you think of hockey you think of canada but what is it going to take to really gain a popularity here in the mainstream United States of America because we have hardcore sports junkies that are devout NFL fans, devout NBA fans, huge baseball fans, and then they look at hockey and they'll be like, nah, I'm not really into it. I feel like if the NHL had a little bit more momentum here in the U.S. like it does in Canada, that maybe more people would be drawn into it on a regular basis. Well, you know, the NHL, I I can't understand how it happened, but they expanded into places like Anaheim, Phoenix, uh, Dallas. I mean, uh, I, I never thought you'd see NHL teams playing down there. Uh, now, now expanding to Seattle, I think that was good. Seattle's, uh, you know, uh, close to Canada and it's a northern area. And of course, in Boston, New York, and Philadelphia, and Washington, 
you've got some hardcore hockey fans. I think it's right up there with the other sports. Yeah, and look at the way they expanded in Vegas, too. They got a yeah, Vegas team that's Vegas huge. And, and they had an expansion team that got to the finals. I mean, whoever heard of that before? Vegas is an interesting place because I think you get sports fans from all over the place there. There are so many people always on vacation in Vegas and uh, that whole Vegas scene. Well, it's a gambling uh, hub, yeah. so why not have sports yeah. teams there, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. And a lot of people, they're, they're there on vacations. Yeah, they're there to gamble, but they're also there to see all the shows and all the glitter. And, and so there's a ready-made fan base there. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, the gambling aspect that the NFL felt they could uh, keep a, a lid on that. Of course, now gambling is more legal than it used to be anyway. You yeah, know, but gambling to... has dominated the NFL. The NFL, the NFL, a majority of the NFL and its fan base is all tied around gambling and fantasy and, and what your team does on a week-in, week-out basis. That's the drawing appeal to the NFL. You don't get that gambling appeal as much with the NBA, the NHL, or baseball. But, you know, listen, I think when you look at the four major sports, they all have their pros and they all have their cons. But I got to tell you, I'm starting to feel like the NHL is becoming a much more exciting sport to really hone in on on a daily basis than the NBA is. The NBA just seems to be the same boring issues year in and year out with the NBA and more and more a lot of these big guys in the NBA and a lot of these star athletes they're not playing in every game they're sort of forcing their opinions on the upper management and the coaches and a lot of these big players are having more of a say in the team and the success of the team than the coach or the ownership is. And the NBA really, really, really has lost a lot of its luster over the years, Andy. And I don't know yeah. what it's going to take for it to come back because it's not the Jordan days. It's not the Carl Malone and John Stockton days. It's it's not the Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing days. It, it just doesn't have that same juice to it that it had back then. The NBA, if you ask me, was great. Like in the uh, early 80s, when you had Larry Bird, Dr. J, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, uh, and then Will Chamberlain added to that. Yeah, well, Chamberlain goes back to the 60s and 70s. You know, Earl Monroe uh, and uh, the Knicks teams of 70 and 73. And that was the NBA. I mean, yeah, it, it, there, there may be more talented athletes now but you know the the team play the defense the uh the hustle the uh, you know that kind of stuff uh yeah the nba was better i think 40 50 years ago than it is now as a product to watch and get interested in and do you feel as a big sports junkie Oscar robertson there's a my goodness what a player he was and here he was an afterthought do you feel though andy as a big sports junkie that the NHL has grown in popularity over the years? Do you feel like more and more people are intertwined in it on a daily basis? Or do you still feel that out of the four major sports we hone in on year in and year out, that the NHL is still very far in the back seat, still trying to find well, its here, way to the front? 
Well, here in the Northeast and certainly in Canada, I mean, Canada is the backbone of the league. I think there are still like, what, seven franchises in Canada. Yes. And that, and that, and that should be. But, you know, it's funny, you know, here Tampa has a team, and it's won the Stanley Cup, and it's a good team over there. <laughs> yeah, so the Lightning. Winning. Yeah, the, and the, with the winning, you know, they've got uh, fans going to the games who are enthusiastic. But uh, that's kind of franchise. If they have a couple of down years, would they hang in with that team? I doubt it. But here in the Northeast, uh, yeah, it's hockey country up here. I don't think uh, that the league has a problem. I just... Like to reiterate, yeah, I just didn't see how they could expand to these southern markets, Carolina, Tampa, Dallas, Arizona. I mean, what are they thinking, you know? Well, with that said, Andy, why don't we take our final break? We'll come back. We'll give our NFL picks. We'll chat a little bit about the Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll put a bow on the sports buzz for episode number eight as we start getting into a busy season in the world of sports as the NFL enters week 11. The college football has three weeks left to go before we start looking at all the bowl games and the playoff system that takes place that leads to a champion in the sport of college football. The basketball season for the NCAA has started, and that'll be fun to talk about in the coming months as we all get eager and geared up for the big March Madness tournament in March. And we have the NBA and the NHL to also banter about over the coming months. With that said, we'll take a break. You're listening to Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu on the Sports Buzz. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto as we come to you live on Clubhouse on this Friday, November 18th, and we make it available for podcast playback through Spotify, Apple, and Google and wherever you get your daily podcast. And I thank everybody who's listening in on Clubhouse tonight. We've had a room we've had a lot of people listen in and i thank you all for that and i thank you for your continued support and i urge every single sports junkie out there to spread the word about the sports buzz i called andy back in the middle of august and i asked him to join forces with me after we hosted a top tier rated broadcast of the sports buzz weekly on 91.9 wnti fm in hackettstown from 2006 to 2010 we made a lot of magic back then on the airwaves and i asked him to help me bring that success to the digital platform and we have fun weekly coming to the microphones and being passionate sports fans sharing our take on everything happening in the world of sports and we thank all you sports junkies for coming along and joining us on a week in week out basis as we try to grow this digital empire. You're not going to get this on commercial AM FM radio, and you're not going to get this on serious satellite subscription radio, but you're guaranteed to get it weekly here on clubhouse and you're guaranteed to get it in podcast form for your listening pleasure. We're going to step aside for a break. We'll come back with our fun weekly competition of picking NFL games as we get ready for week 11 and and we will wrap up this edition of the Sports Buzz. The life of every child is precious. 
If you care for a child or teenager with a disability and have limited income and resources, they may qualify for monthly cash payments through the Supplemental Security Income Program, or SSI. Call Social Security at 1-800-772-1213 or visit ssa.gov slash ssikids to learn more. That's ssa.gov slash ssikids. Message produced by Social Security at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hi, I'm Fouad Reves. I'm a home builder. And I have a question for all of you out there who are building your dream home. Are you making plans so your home will have healthier indoor air? It's an important question because there's a deadly invisible radioactive gas that can seep into homes from underground. It's radon gas, and when you breathe it in, it can cause lung cancer. Among non-smokers, radon is the number one cause of lung cancer. The good news is that it's simple to build a home so radon is not a problem. Building your home radon resistant is a good, inexpensive way to stop radon from entering your home. Any builder can do it. So protect your family, talk to your builder, tell them you want a healthier, safer dream house. You'll have better dreams. Learn more. Visit the EPA at epa.gov radon. That's epa.gov radon. This public service announcement is brought to you by the EPA, who does not endorse this particular builder or any other commercial enterprise. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu coming to you from the Garden State, the great state of New Jersey, the New York metro area, as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports. And the NFL season is fun to not only watch games, to not only analyze the weekly matchups, but it's also fun to pick games and Back in the day on FM radio, Andy, we were in a slugfest week in and week out record-wise, and you started off strong. Now I'm only a half game in front of you as our current records for our NFL picks as we enter week 11. I went 3-1 and one last week. You went 1-3. and three. I own an overall record of 18 and 13 with one tie between the Colts and Texans in week one. And you currently have 18 wins and 14 losses as we get ready for week 11 on the football field. So let's get ready for our week 11 NFL picks in a league where they play for pay. So they've been fun to watch thus far this season. They've been all about the ground game and the defense. And the 7-2 New York football Giants will play at MetLife Stadium at 1 o'clock this Sunday. And they will take on the 3-6 Detroit Lions. The Lions are a tough team. They play hard for their head coach, Dan Campbell. They got some feistiness in them. They proved that against the Bears, rallying back, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter last week. But the Giants are playing well. They got a good head coach in Brian Dable. They got a great defense. They know how to finish games this year. And I think they're going to do their best to go out there and beat the Detroit Lions. I think the Giants are going to control the clock. I think Saquon's going to get a lot of carries. The ground game is going to be in full effect. 
at MetLife Stadium this Sunday, and I think it's going to be too tough for the Detroit Lions to solve. And I think the Giants run all over the Detroit Lions this Sunday, and they win the game 34-17, game number one. Game number two, we talk about them weekly because they're a good team they got a good defense they got a good offense and they're getting ready to take on the carolina panthers at three and seven the six and three baltimore ravens they're coming off of a bye they've gotten some much needed rest now they get ready to play the final stretch of this season and they always play tough in the second half of their seasons and listen the Panthers are rebuilding. Steve Wilkes is just an interim coach. They've had issues at the quarterback position. They haven't been fun to watch in any phase on the football field. Their defense hasn't gotten the job done. The offense has been anemic. Matt Rule lost his job. They're really dysfunctional right now, the Carolina Panthers. And that's going to be a very tough test for them to go in there and ask them to play sound football against the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are good defensively. They'll throw a lot at you offensively. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. The athleticism of the quarterback is something I would worry about for any opposing defense. And I think the Ravens are going to have a big day on Sunday. And I think they're going to beat the Carolina Panthers 27-10. to The Denver Broncos will take on the Vegas Raiders at home in Denver at 4.05 Sunday afternoon. We talked about what a down year it's been for Russell Wilson and the Broncos with their head coach who hasn't gotten the job done. But we also talk about what a horrible year it's been for the Vegas Raiders. This could be a one-and-done situation for Josh McDaniels. The Raiders haven't shown the big playability. Yes, Devontae Adams had a big week last week with 126 yards and one touchdown. But you need more weekly from Devontae Adams for the Raiders to have any winning success. And I don't think they're going to go out there and find a way to beat the Broncos. I think the Broncos are in need of a win. I think the Broncos are tough to play right now in Denver. And I think when all is said and done, Russell Wilson believe it or not, is having a better year than Derek Carr. And I think the Raiders are going to have a tough task in Denver. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. But I think Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos will find a way to get a W in the win column. I like the Broncos to beat the Raiders 17-13 in game number three. In game number four, I'm going with the ESPN Monday night game. I've liked what I've seen out of the San Francisco 49ers. They're a fun team. We talked earlier in the show about how great their defense has been. We talked about what Christian McCaffrey adds offensively, what Garoppolo could do week in and week out, the constant different offensive schemes and game plans that Kyle Shanahan has in place and in store week in and week out for the opposing defense. The 49ers are a tough team, and they play tough, and they play sound football, and they are going to play tough against their opponent, the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals are 4-6. and six. Kyler Murray's been inconsistent this season. Cliff Kingsbury... 
may be on the outside looking in as head coach when all is said and done as he hasn't gotten the job done there in Arizona. And the Cardinals just haven't been a consistent football team. They play good one week, and then the next week they come out flat as a pancake. You can't play that way against the 49ers and think that you're going to get a win. I think this game is going to be San Francisco's. I think they're going to put up points. I think they're going to do it in the air. I think they're going to do it on the ground, and I think they're going to come out with a victory on the road in Arizona by a final score of 34 to 23. So to recap quickly, my picks for week 11, Giants over the Lions, 34-17, Ravens all over the Panthers, 27-10 at home in Baltimore, Broncos edge out the Raiders in a low-scoring game, 17-13, and the 49ers will find a way to beat the Cardinals on Monday Night Football on ESPN, 34-23. Take it away, Andy. Okay, sounds like you're going to go 4-0, which means I'm going to have to go 4-0 to keep up with you. All right. In Indianapolis, we have the Eagles uh, playing the Ursays, and uh, Mr. Uh, Saturday is... <laughs> and Mr. Saturday uh, is going to find Sunday to be a, a tough day. Uh, by the way, the Eagles signed Endomic uh, and Sue, that big Goliath over there. They, they signed him to, I don't know how much he's going to be able to contribute his very first week, but that's an interesting signing for the Eagles. I'd say the Eagles are going to be out to get him, and I'll take the Eagles 31-16. Uh, to 16. And If we had some background music, I'd have the uh, Saints come marching in play here. <laughs> uh, we have the... Uh, Rams at the Saints, Saints 31, Rams 24, as the Saints come marching in and need a, and get, get a game that they need to win. We have the Jets at the Patriots, an intriguing game because it, it, it appears to be a very even matchup here, but the Patriots seem to have a spell over the Jets. So I would say in uh, maybe even somewhat lucky or fluky fashion, I'd I see the Patriots winning, how about a 17-16 nail-biter over here. Uh, Patriots over the Jets. And so finally, i got one more here, and I can hear Jack Dawson saying, make it count, make it count. And we've got the Cowboys at the Vikings. One thing I can say about the Vikings is that Giants fans and Eagles fans will be rooting for the Vikings to beat those Cowboys. And the Vikings are hot, and they've got all cylinders going. And I would take Kirk Cousins and the Vikings by a score like how about 35 to 24. Okay, I've got the Eagles over the Colts, 31 to 6. I've got the Patriots over the Jets, 17 to 16. I've got the Saints over the Rams, 31-24. And I've got the Vikings over the Cowboys, 35-24. And there you have it. Those are our picks for week 11 in the National Football League in a league where they play for pay as we are going to go down to the wire week in and week out with these picks. And it's always fun year in and year out. So before we turn off the microphones and put the headsets away, 
Quickly, Andy, there were two other college scores I forgot to give tonight. San Diego State leads New Mexico at the half, 21 to 10, and Tulsa all over South Florida, 38 to 20, with a little over 13 minutes to play in the third quarter as the college football season starts to wind down. Yeah, well, they're all getting themselves in position for a bowl game. Six wins makes you bowl eligible. Doesn't necessarily guarantee you'll get a bowl game, but you have a real good shot at it. Yeah, there's a lot of college games out there, and everybody becomes an expert on college uh, on these college players on the draft rolls around. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, people who haven't haven't been following college very much, so, but they know who their their team's got to draft. Uh, you know, you better believe these NFL guys are scouting these college games uh, up the wazoo here because uh, their futures depend on it. And uh, there's lots of good football being played out there. And uh, I watch as many of those bowl games as I can because some of them you see some pretty interesting players. You and, do. And then the day after Thanksgiving is always a big college football day in many households. As you try yeah, a lot to of the traditional rivalries uh, play yeah. this time of year, you know, yeah. like uh, Pitt, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, they call that the background. Everybody's background everybody's tired the day after Thanksgiving from all yeah. the tryptophan and turkey and all the feasting they did the day prior that they want to sit on the couch and watch some good college football. And with that said, Andy, I hope that you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Where will you be going for the holiday this year, and what will you be doing? Well, we'll be at my mom's, and uh, Del and I will bring bring the food. You know, uh, we'll be uh, guests bearing food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that TV uh, will be on a little bit. I'll be checking out the, the football, all right. Now, does your and, wife do a big turkey and all the sides and the stuffing and all of the great uh, dishes you have on Thanksgiving? We don't need a big turkey. Uh, there, there's lots of uh, other good stuff too, and uh, you know we we make sure it's a nice balanced meal. <laughs> and we, we get our veggies and and all that. Yes. Well, I and, wish and you the pumpkin pie. Oh yes, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving, Andy, and uh, and and I will you. I will do the same in East Rutherford. It's going to be a relaxing holiday for me and my mother as we will have Thanksgiving alone this year, but we will enjoy it and look forward to it and just enjoy the quietness and the NFL on the boob tube. That's what I enjoy the most. Family, food, and football. That's what that holiday is all about, and it's always been my favorite. So before we wrap it up, Andy, any final thoughts for our listening audience tonight? Yeah, I think we've uh, we've pretty much uh, run through everything that's uh, worth running through, <laughs> and uh, we'll just uh, gear up for another week next week and uh, have all our fun and holiday spirit. And uh, they're already playing Christmas music on the radio. Yes, yeah. they are. And yeah. and I myself, I enjoy the Christmas season and I enjoy the music being on early, especially with the times we're living in right now in this world. You need a little bit of enjoyment in life and you need to feel that joy. So why not bring in the Christmas season a little earlier yeah. than usual? With that so said, Feliz Navidad and uh, certainly <laughs> Buffalo is going to have white Christmas. 
Yes, uh, they, they are. are getting a little bit more than they bargained for. <laughs> yes, they are. And to our listening audience out there, we wish everyone a happy, healthy, safe, and enjoyable Thanksgiving holiday. And we will be back behind the microphone next Friday to give you more hard-hitting, thought-provoking sports talk. We'll see how it plays out in the off-season here and the free agency period in Major League Baseball and where a lot of these players will wind up we'll get eager for another exciting week of nfl football and we'll be back to cover it all next week right here on the sports buzz he was andy loigu i was kevin wolf and you've just listened to episode number eight of the sports buzz passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan happy thanksgiving to everyone We hope you enjoy your week, and we will be back next week, same place, same time. Adios, folks. Until next time. (laughs) 